0: Welcome back to the Poker Zoo a podcast, designed by Persuadio for his own coaching students, friends of his, members of the back room, and of course anyone else who would like to listen in. You can find us at Persuadio.nl. Each of the episodes are contained there, along with other great poker content. Uh, leave a comment, question, anything else you'd like to discuss, and of course subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcast aggregator of your choosing. Had an interesting poker session today. One of the players was trying to put everyone else on tilt by inviting each of us individually back to his room for a nap and a back rub, to which most of us responded, uh, "No, thank you." This week's interview is with an up-and-coming cash player, so enjoy the conversation between Persuadio Chris and another Chris.
1: Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. This week, we are leaving the heady streets of Pluribus and Mr. Pink and Mr. Blue and all those online killers and going into the real games of Las Vegas and elsewhere, Uh, the low stakes where poker futures are made. So I'm really pleased this week to bring on a budding player and apparently Instagram Road Rage star, Chris (laughs) Convalenco.
2: hello (laughs) thank you for that endearing introduction
1: well yeah you're definitely one of my favorite instagram people and i I don't even care about the poker i love seeing you drive around and uh, have problems with everyone
2: yeah i do have problems with people on the road as most do (laughs) oh it's a pretty universally (laughs) relatable thing (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. But you, you go the extra mile. And that's that's commitment. I believe uh, I believe there was a vlog cast with uh, Nick Howard and Matt Berkey and your commitment to uh, Road Rage. You know, you you're going to get there, buddy.
2: What's the relation? I'm halfway through. I haven't seen the whole vlog cast.
1: Oh, it's about it's about going all the way. It's about. Yes. Not having excuses and uh, not backing down. And, and that's what we need. In our poker players, but also in our uh, personal videos about driving. That—that's my theory, anyway. You can take it or leave it. (laughs) Well, uh, I want to hear about you. And some people know a little bit about you because of your uh, connection to Solve for why and because of your uh, Instagram stuff. But uh, who are you? How'd you get into poker? Why aren't you digging ditches or writing code somewhere?
2: I think about that every day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I better. (laughs)
2: Possibly. Some days it feels that way. But I honestly don't know the first time I saw poker, but really the first time I got into it was at boarding school. Hmm. There's not a lot to do. They basically just lock you up. And eventually I got into playing tiny low-stakes games with friends. And I had a buddy who was into statistics And we started getting into strategy on YouTube, very low-level stuff, uh, just basic videos and things. And we started pursuing it more and more, and then worked up the courage eventually to bring $100 to Twin River Casino in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And I think about an hour into my first session ever, my hands are shaking, putting out the red chips and such. I flopped top set of tens <laughs> and end up getting, I don't remember the hand history, but I end up getting it in four ways and mm. quadrupling up. And that was it. <laughs> From that moment on, <laughs> poker was the primary focus.
1: I see. Many careers are launched in this fashion. Yes. <laughs> so you, you make like 400 or $500 and your future yeah. is known to you.
2: My, the first night. Uh, I honestly don't know if I would be a professional poker player if I lost that day.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely joking. Uh, smarter poker players than me, such as Abe Lyman, have, have noticed over the years that you really do have to run well in your first years, whether it's your first day at Twin River. But the point being, a lot of pros simply can't fade the variance, even if they're good. Right. I have so... a feeling you're going to have something to say about that. <laughs>
2: Well, after that, I ended up spending the summer playing 1 2 almost okay. every day and really just winged it. Uh, in hindsight, I think that I only won because I was so scared of the money. And I think that just functions well at 1 2, where it's just mostly value bets, not very complex strategy. So even though I was relatively incompetent at that time, it went well, and I was hooked. It was a creative outlet for me, obviously a cool thing to be doing while you're in high school. And from there, uh, I started playing bigger games. Do you want me to keep going?
1: I, wanna, I want you to keep going, but I also want you to spill the beans on who are these YouTube uh, poker educators that you were learning from i mean there's oh. people there's people out there who learn from vlogs these days there's people out yes. there who watch doug polk which are, which guy are you uh i watched a lot of split suit videos ah, okay
2: uh where i learned about spr i had a red ship membership that was really my foundation i think nimi was the very first sort of poker content that i saw and I loved it, uh, but yeah, I think it was it was some Doug Polk, a lot of Split Suit, about the hand, workbook, uh,
1: and then just Red Chip. Okay, so you put in some some work and time to get here. Yeah. Uh, tell us um, as you move on. Uh, tell us what you move on to, and that will be interesting. To, to people so you, you're you're winning at one two you're beating the game at Twin River. What happens next?
2: So moving on about a year I'm doing well at, at one three in Canada while I'm at school up there mm-hmm. and we have a long summer. <clears throat> so I decide to just kind of take a shot and go to Las Vegas for the summer. There is this person that I met playing one-two spread limit in Minnesota who had offered <laughs> to, uh, to stake me several months back. Wow. And I messaged never him get on...
1: started too early with the staking. apparently.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so I messaged him on Snapchat as all professional people communicate. Yeah. Absolutely. And we agree on a $50,000 uh, roll with a
1: 60-40 equity split with makeup. 60 okay. in my favor. So sort of your standard one-two player deal. Yeah, all right. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Off and running. So <laughs> I have maybe 11000 personal at this point, uh, and then a $50,000 uh, liquidity source. Nice. So I go to Las Vegas, jump right into the win two-five, uh, hmm. run really well. Make probably $15,000 in the first, uh, I don't know, week. I move up to 5'10". I'm, I'm not good at this point. Definitely not beating 5'10". Maybe not beating 2'5". I move up to 5'10", just keep winning. It's, th- it's still my biggest upswing I've ever had. And then I just keep moving up to 10'20". And in the first month and a half, I have a huge upswing and just chop with my backer. So now I have all this personal money. uh, And then I proceed to go on a seven-month downswing.
1: Ah, the shoe drops.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The carpet is pulled from under me. I realize that I am not, in fact, the god that I thought that I was. Quick reality check. And at the end of this seven months, I'm 23K in live makeup. And my backer calls me and he says, I need the rollback because I lost my money in a jet business.
1: <laughs> i say. You can't <laughs> make this stuff up. So I am just going to believe you.
2: I swear to God, <laughs> he, he tried to start this chartering. This isn't relevant, but he tried to start this private jet chartering thing. And apparently that tanked. So he needed the rollback. And as is customary, when the backer ends the deal, the makeup was forgiven. Yes, nice. <laughs> so <laughs> that was lucky. <laughs> I'm not just grinding so, in makeup. So, so,
1: yeah, so, so far you're living this sort of Peter Sellers being there life <laughs> where things <laughs> are, are sort of working out in weird ways for you. Right. Okay, so, I like it. What happens next?
2: This all happens during the summer. Okay. And I think, well, gosh, this is so much fun. I should just transfer to UNLV and continue to play poker. Hmm. So I end up transferring, uh, do one semester, and then decide that I am done.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, is the short... What happened? What happened? <laughs> Tell me that well, UNLV isn't a fine institution.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there are three reasons that you go to UNLV. You are born and raised in Las Vegas, or you have a passion for hospitality management, or you got recruited for your athletic ability. So, the student pool, I wouldn't say is really top tier uh, academically, and I was kind of just hating my day to day. Then, this opportunity presented itself with uh, Sol for Y. I'm trying to get into acting and show business, and I, went, I was careful about it. It wasn't, it wasn't just a reckless, imp, like, impulsive decision to, to drop out. It was calculated in some facet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I think that I can succeed without the conventional model. Okay,
1: so you are a real poker player at this point. So sure. back up and tell us what do you mean the solve for why opportunity?
2: Well, one day I was playing 2-5 at the win, and I see Christian Soto. Okay. And I recognize him. And I go up to him and I introduce myself with sweaty palms. And he ends up giving me his number. I say I'm interested in the academy and things like that. And Eventually, he says that we should just do individual coaching. So I go over to the Sulfur Y loft and we do a session, and he basically just blows my mind. And I'm immediately in love with this strategy that he's teaching and the mind that he's offering. I've just never had this sort of resource before. And so I start working with him. Uh, we just become friends eventually. And then he asks me if I would like to, he sees my Instagram stuff and asks me if I would be interested in sort of the media branch of self or why. Okay. And I said, absolutely. So the plan is that I am going to take over the vlog for them and replace the high stakes 325k bullet format with something closer to a Nimi style
1: vlog. Okay, I think the listeners can imagine that and see why that might be a good idea. Tell us a little bit. You don't have to give away the game, nor could you in a few minutes, but what were some things that blew your mind about Christian Soto's strategy compared to what you had been learning and applying before that?
2: Well, I had really been exposed to the dogmatic conventional philosophy before this moment. I I had talked to Christian Holden a little bit, but other than that, it was really... Just shoddy GTO. There, and then Christian starts explaining incentives and these creative lines and this completely different way of thinking, and it just makes so much more sense to me. Uh, do you want specifics?
1: Uh, why don't you? If you, we're gonna go over a hand, and if you happen to bring up. Some of those incentives that would be a good spot, sure. or you could explain one now. For instance, I can imagine what he's saying, but to the average listener, what does Christian Soto mean when he says incentives?
2: Well, I think the way most casual players think about the game is they've seen some Nimi stuff. Strategy is pretty widespread nowadays, but they look at their cards and don't really understand why they win or why they don't. The nuance and insight is just absent, I think. And what he makes me think about, there was an aha moment for me at the Elite Academy Mm -hmm. where we were looking at a range-neutral board and talking about how we could derive EV from a range-neutral board. And we were saying that in order for us to derive VV, our opponent has to deviate from their incentives. So the only the only reason that anyone can win at poker is from those mistakes. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of rambling here.
1: <clears throat> That's uh, fine. You're supposed to ramble. Let me ask you this, though, and then we'll, we'll move on to your academy experience. You're not sure. supposed to be spilling all the beans after all. But right. on a range-neutral board... Um, the incentive for your, your opponent is what then? What is his incentive and why, why should he deviate from it? What, what, what are you asserting here, buddy?
2: Well, it makes a lot of sense intuitively that if there's the same amount of equity available to each range, mm-hmm. that the only way to derive EV is through the opponent's range folding out their equity. Ah,
1: okay, there we go. So you're telling me you're getting a little out of line on range-neutral boards. E, well,
2: <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody in my pool listening.
1: For, for the record, <laughs> no. Oh, you're broke now. Yeah, you're yes. broke now. Sorry. <laughs> don't worry. That means very little, uh, and those who are smart are already piecing it together. But tell us about your academy experience, because that's one of the funnest things you can do. And one of the big innovations that Solve for Why brought to the game is this, this summer camp for aspiring poker pros. Tell us, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about this, actually. It was, it was a very meaningful experience for me. Up until this point, it had been a very lonely conquest. Other kids at my school think I'm a gambling addict. Uh, my teachers have no idea what it is. it's basically just me on my computer by myself doing this thing that I am passionate about that nobody really understands for sure. And then to contrast that I walk into day one of the elite Academy and there is a classroom full of people sitting down and Matt Berkey and Christian Soto at the front of the room instructing. I I almost I almost just broke down crying in that
1: moment honestly. Because so this is sort of a communal experience for you, not just a strategic one.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's it's a lonely
2: endeavor. Poker. Fair enough. Very individually centered. Especially when no one around you even knows what it is. I think a lot
1: so, of players have that experience for sure.
2: Yeah. The Academy was overall pretty amazing. I loved getting to play on stream and having Perky and Soto commentate over my play was just surreal. It's it's amazing being in a room full of elite minds in that way.
1: And it's more fun too, right?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. That, that is one
1: thing that gets... Uh... The grind of poker can wear us down. You mentioned the, the loneliness, that's true, but um, you can't tell me that you enjoy value betting nits at 1-3 when you're trying to grind your roll back up.
2: No, no. That was <laughs> awful. <laughs> right. But you have to respect the process.
1: So in addition to finding your people, so to speak, and maybe getting some more, uh, you know, some strategic development, what, what was the, what's been the real takeaway for you from, from the academy or academies?
2: Probably that the real skill is the synthesis and interpretation of the data. That's my takeaway, really. They never say that verbatim, but the ability to ask good questions is fundamental to, to progress and innovation. I think many just mimic and... There's a lot of creativity that's just absent and rejected. So I'd say it's been so long since I thought the way that I did. It's hard to condense it into a takeaway. But creativity and process is paramount. There we go.
1: Well, that's well said. Um, Let's use that, in fact, as a sort of segue into what is happening now in your life. Uh, where are you? What are you playing? How is your strategy going? What are you doing to improve now? Um, You know, what's the present for Chris Konvalenka? Right.
2: I am in Las Vegas still, never left, (laughs) planned on coming for the summer, and I am still here a year and a half, almost two years later. And I am, I've been off stake since October of last year. Okay. So what is that? Nine months? Eight months? So this is all on you now. Yep. Since since I got dropped, I had to rebuild at 1.3. I had about twenty k in October of last year, and then I played one three for a while, and then got back to two five, and then five ten for a little bit, and now. After spending about seventeen thousand on coaching, that's part of what I'm doing to improve. I have about forty-three thousand of personal liquidity, stake-free. I'm my own boss now, and I play mostly win two five. I love that game. Sure. And then when I'm feeling courageous, or my coach makes me, I play win five ten. Some, yeah. some Bellagio five ten and Aria five ten.
1: Tell us a bit about the win games. They're they're a favorite for a lot of us. The win two five is
2: sort of the highest mid stakes game, I think, in Vegas. And the three hundred big blind cap really allows for a lot of things if you're uh, if you're creative. A lot of the regs, I think, try to implement a polar strategy, but still buy in for 300 big blinds, which allows for some some cool exploits. Uh, I just love deep cash games. So the win is perfect
1: for that. Nice. Now, what's the difference between, say... The win two five and the leap up to five ten there.
2: The win five ten is the most terrifying five ten in the city. I think the it's the environment is pretty intimidating and the players are pretty intimidating. It's in a separate section. It's quieter. The chips are different. They treat you differently. It's a different podium. Uh, all the players are astronomically better than at two five the buy-in's uncapped so a bunch of people are sitting with a ton of money it's an intimidating environment uh i would say it's the hardest five ten probably the hardest game that runs regularly
1: in the city so since a lot of the solve for why philosophy is about embracing challenges and not exactly looking for the best game selection, right. uh, what's your um, goal there? When, when Soto says it's time for you to go play 510, is, what, what's the idea that you're challenging yourself or ex- explain what the plan is?
2: Well, it turns out that I lack killer instinct to some degree.
1: Hmm.
2: And uh, I, didn't, I didn't think much about that until recently, but I'm really struggling with this idea that I cannot both be great and compassionate uh, at the poker table, at least.
1: okay good so a little addendum there i think (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) i i didn't realize that the training was going to turn you into conan the barbarian but (laughs) yes
2: well it has to if or or that is what i'm learning now that playing this win 510 game tossing me into the gladiator ring should teach me killer instinct and also just exposing me to
1: good players will obviously make me better right so tell us a little bit about those good players what do you see i mean this is a very we're joking around but this is a very poker fluent audience what are you seeing from these good players at the 510 that separates them from the two five players uh
2: mostly just aggression intelligent aggression And there's a little bit of
1: creativity, but mm, it's still beatable for sure. What do you think of the bet sizing differences, which is often the mark of a really experienced player? Yes, yes. Uh,
2: Much larger in general. Three bet frequency is way higher. Uh, A lot of three bets and four bets. It's not an easy game on a weeknight
1: to win five ten. Well, I believe you. Uh, let's uh, key, continue this strategic vein. You sent me a hand a few minutes before we started. I haven't had any time. I'm like a magician. I have not. My hands are clean. I do not know the results. I do not know what is going on, but it looks like an interesting spot. Do you want to walk the audience through it, starting with the stakes and stacks and whatever information, up until sure. – Uh, The end. Don't give away the results. Then we'll talk. Then we'll talk through it. Well,
2: this is relevant because it is at Win Five Ten against one of the competent regulars. Uh Ah. So we have two thousand American dollars and are sitting under the gun. One. We are dealt the Queen of Hearts and the Queen of Clubs. Under the gun opens to forty and
1: I choose to flat. Do you want me to go through the whole hand and then loop back around? Absolutely. Take us through the hand so that we get the big picture, and then we'll go through detail by detail.
2: Okay. So I flat the 40. We end up going heads up to ace, queen, three, rainbow. He down bets to 30. I raise to 110. He calls. The turn is an offsuit four. It is a badugi board. He checks, I bet 250 into 315, he calls. River is an eight. He checks, I bet 900 into 815, and he shoves 1,700, and I call.
1: All right, so it looks like there's 700 more to call at the end, is that right? Yes. Okay, so we've got a hand and you take a particularly polarizing line once you hit the flop. So let's let's go through every detail. Uh, we're 2K effective. We're playing in the biggest game that we play in, and we know we're up against a competent player. Tell us about this competent player. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, he is European,
2: uh, a regular in this game, seems to three bet merged in and out of position capable of pressure and seems to have a very theoretical mind doesn't seem to
1: see exploits really interesting and he opens to 4x do you is that standard or is that seems a little large for a uh theoretical player but i i don't know necessarily this game that well tell me about it uh
2: i don't remember if this is
1: his standard
2: size open or not but a lot of times the game just runs at a 40 open size i think naturally just because of stacked up
1: mm. and possibly because of those funny 10 dollars chips they use right that's true i hey i like the 10 dollars chips yeah, yeah like, but I can't I case? can't open to 3.5. I mean, I, oh if I God. do, I just annoy them. You're one of those? <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> <Got to, laughs> I've got to annoy you at the table. Can I have some red <laughs> chips, please? Uh, <laughs> okay, so we see a, 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 what amounts to a standard open. There sure. is some depth. 4X is going to be fine. It may constrain some of his opens, but his under-the-gun range is probably going to be fairly tight. Anyway... Um can you describe it or do you have an idea of what its bottom is?
2: Probably an eight nine suited or a a nine ten suited. Alright, fair and enough. How's that? Like yeah. probably sixes.
1: Older is this a yeah, is this a guy in other words who's like so theoretically sound that he's not opening deuces through fives? Is that kind probably of not. Okay. Probably not. Probably not. Alright, I think we all know who we're talking about. We hate him already. Move on. <laughs> You decide to call. I choose to flat. Okay. Now, this Uh, this is a cool decision, but why do you do it?
2: I think that I'm going to have my biggest edge when I pull them out of the theoretical realm into sort of an intuition gray zone. Okay. So you see that throughout the hand where I... I mean, it's theoretically sound to flat queens here anyway, but I think it gives me the privilege of playing out of perceived cap, not necessarily theoretical cap because the solver might flat queens here, but perceived cap, I think that they don't think I would flat the queens. And I think that's just going to serve me. It's a three-bit happy game. So I think that
1: could serve me in many ways moving forward. Oh, so we'll talk about that for just a second. Um, There's, yeah, there's two contradictory things going on. If it's an aggressive game, you may expect the culture to be three betting this hand. But it's, you should understand that he's also expecting you to flat very strong from this spot as you should. It's one of the worst spots in Hold'em. Like it's the equivalent of the small blind in, in many ways. It's very hard to play from this spot. And so, flatting your range here makes a lot of sense Uh, when I saw this action. Yeah. uh, It's not, this isn't where you are playing an unusual style. This actually should make sense to him, unless he is just expecting you to sort of always spaz out with your strong hands.
2: Not necessarily. Uh, I, I also think it makes sense to flat range. With him opening under the gun.
1: All right, so that should play into our decision-making process later. Uh, Tell us about the flop play. Well,
2: obviously a good flop that clearly favors him.
1: So this is a time game, so there's, what, 95 in the pot right now?
2: Yes. Okay. 95 in the pot. All right. He down bets, which I'm assuming he is just doing with range on this texture, to 30. And this is the first spot where I really deviate from theory. Right. Because I choose to raise where I would never have any raises in a theoretical vacuum. And I think that he is just not going to be able to play well in a realm that he hasn't studied.
1: Hmm. That seems like a big assumption, but I think it could be fair. And the other thing I would say is (laughs) that it isn't true that you shouldn't have raises here. In fact, on an advantage board, you must have some sort of small frequency of raising, especially against this size. Hmm. So I don't think... In fact, otherwise, but, you get you get run over on these advantage boards. if You don't right. put in raises. So the question is, is this the hand? Is this the spot? Well, uh, what do you think? Is Queens uh, the, the right raise here? I think it's a good candidate,
2: mostly just because I unblock all his ASECs. And I think it's just my incentive to pile money in.
1: Right. He's not going to be be continued if he's betting range and his his all of his bottom should be betting here the eight nine the six sevens eights nines um sure that they simply won't have continuance on many turns unless they somehow improve right so i think this is reasonable um what do you make of his call i think he's continuing
2: wider than he should Mostly just because I don't think he perceives me to have raises on this board. I think he's just going to continue with all his ace-x. Maybe kings, jacks, tens, some queen x, And then the nothing-hands, I think, just fall off. Obviously. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he's definitely going to be calling a lot. Uh, he's Let's see, what have we got here? We have our 95, and we've got our are 30, so we've got uh, like 150, and then the 80 more. So he's getting, you know, he's going to be continuing with around uh, 50% of his range, so he can discard all of the garbage that was just hoping to get some protection and pick up the pot. Yep. Uh, looks like, I mean, even hands like Jack-10 suited should be calling here, right? Right. Okay, so you're very likely, in other words against whatever random queen he has, the last one in the deck, all of his aces, and the gutters, to, you're very likely to have the best hand at this point, being that right. you have second set. Now, the the concern here when we do attack a advantage board is that he is uncapped. How concerned are you about top set? How do you think he plays it? I think he plays it pretty identically uh,
2: top set, but... I feel like that is not a large enough portion of his range to warrant any sort
1: of deviation, obviously. Just a cooler, in my opinion. All right. So then when we face this continuance, are you planning brazenly to, with other hands, fire into this board without the the advantage of, of a hand as strong as three queens? With my other hands yeah would you be firing this uh this turn that when it comes up in other words you're looking ahead expecting to get called by about 50 percent of what he has is the plan to to just be firing away a lot or is this deviation really subject to just having three queens i honestly think it's just subject to having middle set
2: okay Uh, it seems a little punty to go off with like king-jack-of-diamonds
1: or something mm-hmm. like that. It's a rainbow board, and so you're going to pick up a flush draw um, many times. Do you, in this case? The turn is the four of hearts. It It is an offsuit. Uh, four suits on the board. Oh, so. boy. So now now a lot of our, our ambitious jack-10s and whatever we can have uh, that could pick up some backdoor equity do not improve right uh you could pick up a gutter i don't know how wide you flat we didn't really discuss that um but there are some hands that we could fire but i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself he has called the four of hearts comes out he checks and now this is where the hand gets interesting because what is there in the pot is about 300 and now you fire fairly large yeah this is where i start to mess up the pot construction
2: i think Even on the flop, I should go bigger. Not only theoretically, like uh, I'm repping a pole, so I should polarize my size even more, but just in terms of getting the money in naturally by the river.
1: uh, We're going to see that come up when we have this odd sizing. Uh, yes. Issue on the river, but it's it's sort of cool. I mean, what are you saying here when you raise him? You're really telling him that you have well, you don't have any queen three in your range. You're telling him you have bottom set, you have ace three suited, or three queens. That is the argument. Um, and so, when your range is that narrow, uh, do you think you should be raising larger or smaller? Uh. Theoretically,
2: if my value combinations outweigh my bluff combinations, and he's aware of that, smaller. But I think in practice, I should
1: just go larger. Right. So that's one of the, the, the <clears throat> cool, cool things about this. We're, you're You're sort of daring him to continue, aren't you? Yes. Well, I do have three queens, so... Well, you know, <laughs> potato, potato. Yes. <laughs> uh, but then tell us about the turn. That's where we're at now. There's $300 in the pot, unless I've misadded the, the pot. Uh, you bet. Uh, okay, you bet 250 which is fairly large. Are you saying you want to go larger? Yes. I oh. think a turn over bet is nice. And why is that?
2: Well, it's higher EV for the portion of his range that is inelastic on the turn, but elastic on the river.
1: Hmm, nice. So and, you think you're going to get your value here mostly? Um, no, I don't think so. No? Okay. But why, I, why do you kind of go larger then?
2: Well it more naturally sets up the cooler situations where he just has ace, king, ace, jack. I think, so if I, if say I bet 450. Okay. 900. There would be 1,100 in the pot, and I started with 2,000.
1: Right. Yeah, it would just be. But you're going to, you're, one of your problems in this hand, which we'll get to on the river, is that getting all in is a little bit, tricky i don't think it's as hard as you think but it's uh you could certainly go larger here Um, you are telling him that you have the pull, and if you have some sort of gutter here which is what you want because it does have some equity and you'll be dropping maybe the worst one on the turn but if you want to fire that, it certainly wants the protection of an overbet. So I like your your revision to this hand a lot. That sounds good. Uh, but you go 250, which is certainly standard enough. It's probably a standard bet in that game, right?
2: Yeah. And my fight or flight is kind of kicking in at this point. And I sort of just default to a big bet, I think. Right.
1: You're seeing <laughs> you're seeing whether this is going to go down uh subconsciously you don't want to lose him even though you may know right. better. and you're also uh there's a small part of you the knit on your shoulder is probably a little worried about him trapping you with top right set. so <laughs> all all these things contrive uh, sort of comprise uh how poker players behave once the die is cast once they make some sort of you know unusual raise on the flop here and they see yes that, uh, all yes. the money is going to go in all very accurate Sure. So, he calls now. Um, so, before we move on, what do you make of this call? Does he have any check raises here? Or what does this call mean?
2: I think we still retain all of his Asex. Pretty much none of it falls off on the four of hearts. Okay. Uh, because I'm assuming he has the same amount of equity on this turn card as he did on the on the flop. So I I don't expect a huge a huge funnel besides the Jack Ten, the King Jack, the tens, the Jacks maybe if they held on.
1: Yeah, I the only problem with that is again we have to return to our original read that he's a sound theoretical player. He understands now that you (laughs) you are telling him that you have a set, or at worst, top and bottom. Right. That um, you can't have aces mostly, but you certainly could because if you're flatting your entire range as you might from under the gun, under the gun one, yes. and he's holding on with like ace jack, he's really just praying that blocking that, uh, not blocking three queens, not having a three, um, is very dicey. So I would be, I would tend to be more concerned about this call from a very strong player uh, based on, on simply going through that hand reading that you should have a very strong range pre-flop. You are attacking this range. Um, and then, and then on the, on the turn you find what is a clearly a value looking size. Yes. Well, uh, polar at, at, at least. Well, it's polar in the sense of it's trending polar over a half pot bet, but these guys are probably used to overbets, and it could be bigger. But, um, so, I, I would just, I would be wary of thinking that he's going to call with, say, if he has Ace-10 suited. That might be a, a beat, that might become a fold for him, is what I'm trying to say in a long lead mm-hmm. sort of way. Okay, but he does call. Um, we've reduced him to now all the standard bluff catchers. He's lost all his speculative hands, um, and we're we're kind of seeing summarizing his hand as Ace Jack in a sense, or Ace King. Sure, sure. Uh, on the river, the Eight of Diamonds comes off. Which uh, you know is that a blank? What does that card matter at all?
2: Uh, I'd say it's a blank. I okay. don't think it's too relevant.
1: Okay, so there's over eight hundred. A blank comes off. Uh, none of his gutters, if he's possibly had them, have gotten there. You have the second nuts. What do you do and why?
2: Well, we arrive at 2SPR. So at this point, I'm just thinking I screwed up. <clears throat> I screwed up this pot construction. I think about jamming 2X pot uh, for a while. Hmm and then for whatever reason in the moment i decide on 900 with 700 back
1: yeah which seems, seems pretty not great <laughs> well uh, let's look at let's look at it from both sides like what's good about it first of all
2: well there's a possibility that we retain more combinations with 900 than 1650 Given that we have a value hand, that could potentially yield some more EV. Mm -hmm. But if his Ace-Jack and Ace-King is inelastic to size on this river and he contains full combinations of both of those hands, let's see, 3, 4, 12, 24, then we would be missing quite a bit of EV from that $700 from each combination. Uh, in a less exploitative sense, I think it should just be a shove given that I have sort of an absolute
1: pull and two expo. Okay. What are your thoughts? So that's all very fair. I want to kind of Grab on to how you retain more calls uh, by betting smaller and making sure that we resolve our read of this guy and understanding that um, he's not calling everything when you between the different, the difference in other words, between shoving and 900 will change his calling range. It has to. Um, If he's the guy that you think he is. Sure. he can let go of his one pair hands versus a two X pot bet. Um, And if he, if this story was different, I don't know the result and you shoved and you ended up getting shown like ace jack, I would really rethink how this guy plays. Right. Um, So now we have sort of a problem. We're kind of, if we want to shove, we want him to have exactly ace queen or three threes, which we don't think are in his pre-flop range. Um, so I'm not hating this 900 the way you seem to hate yourself for it. <laughs> um, and the reason is he just doesn't have enough theoretical hands to call with if he's the player that you, that you think he is. Um, and we also have the problem of whenever we don't have the pure nuts in our range, which is a really interesting question, because do you have aces here? I mean, I think you do, actually. I, um, I would, yeah. Right. But if he, think, if he thinks maybe that you don't, uh, then your shove doesn't really make a lot of sense, because our largest sizings need to be curtailed. We have to sort of dial down the largest sizings in a theoretical way when we don't have the nuts. Um, sure. so it's sort of a, a funny mirror situation. Do you have the nuts here, do you not? Uh, and uh, I think because you do, uh, and, and fact in fact, and that you will flat, and I think well, flatting onto the gun with plus one with aces does make sense in a lot of sense in a lot of cases. Uh, I think because you can have that hand, I think you're you're fine with the shove. Um, but the hand reading doesn't support um, as many calls as you'd like. So when you resolve that disconnect, uh, that's probably where the sizing has to be. Um, and so when we go back to the turn, that seems to be the critical point because if you had bet larger, now this shove isn't so, uh, doesn't put him in such a bad spot with all his right. one pair of hands. Um, so the river play seems to me like it actually makes sense given that we're really trying to say we have Ace Three and not Three Queens. And that we want Ace Jack to call. But it doesn't go the way we expect, because you bet 900, and now he's like, he puts you in. (laughs) Yes. So now I
2: am sad. (laughs) And I feel like a fool. Mm. But do you want me to give you the result?
1: No, I want you to go through your decision uh, on the river here, when he's actually telling you that he has three aces.
2: Uh... Well, I put a bunch of money into this pot. I have second set. Uh, It would be the craziest fold of my life. And I just don't think it's a spot where I'm going to do it. Uh, I think at some frequency, he may overvalue Ace King.
1: I can't can't believe that. No. (laughs) No it's all about your read of this guy <clears throat> you have given him a profile which simply can't overvalue ace king and which considers folding ace king on the river right rather rather than jamming with it so that the, the problem is you're blocking his your main value target ace queen and he doesn't have a set of threes according to our pre-flop analysis um so even though you want to bet large, just to repeat what I was saying, it ends up you're, you you end up wanting to bet smaller, uh, but the stacks have, have just put you in this this unfor- this is a very strange spot, frankly. Yes, it is quite strange. And you know you're getting such a good price here. Um, what is it? I've lost track of the pot size. It um, is five to six to one. Right, so you're never folding, and of course you're going to gain. You're going to sleep well, or you know, <laughs> right? You're gonna you're gonna sleep well, basically, and and pay off this bet, having taken uh, this particular line and, and facing you know these three combinations that cool you off. The problem is you face these three combinations a lot now. Yes, um, and you're just hoping that he has uh, ace queen. But even that's ambitious, you see, because when he has three threes, I doubt that's a raise on the river. Um, so right. could you? can you fold this hand? I think he would be a very disciplined fold, but I think it's also just too insane when we're getting this price and it'll just disturb you mentally to tell people that you folded second set getting five to one or whatever. Yes. All right, so give us the good news. Tell us everything I said was wrong, and he has, like, ace-jack. So
2: I call, and he turns over the ace of spades and the king of spades. Okay. So he had ace-king and right. totally bailed me out from my shoddy pot construction.
1: That's amazing. Um, uh, because I, bl- I don't think I was wrong in really much that I said. Um, I don't, I wonder, he just can't be turning it into a bluff, surely. Uh,
2: I think I might have overestimated his ability going into this hand. I I honestly think, I saw him studying the board for a while before he shoved, like, pretty obviously. Almost as if to... I don't know, figure out what what I could possibly have before he decided to value better or not. It could be a figment of my imagination, but I think he just reverted to uh, thinking he was close to the top. So it was just a mandatory... I, honestly, I don't know. It's clearly bad, but... Trying to put myself in his shoes. Maybe he felt like he was near the top, so it just mandated a shove.
1: It's just not, though. Uh, <laughs> well, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. What if you brought this strange hand to me? Uh, okay. So he goes for it with Ace King and expects you to call with what? Ace Jack to fold <laughs> Ace Three, maybe? I, I have no idea why. All right. Uh, you, know, you heard it here on the Zoo podcast that the five ten game at the win is better than you thought. <laughs> that's true. I did give you this hand that
2: is contrary to everything that I've said about the game. Yes. But, yes. but uh, I think it is an anomaly.
1: Well, I think there's one important thing, and that's that we don't fold our hand. We don't make hero folds. I told you that you're most likely to be here and that you're really hoping to see Ace Queen. And you just, you don't. In a cash game, especially, you don't fold getting these ridiculous prices, Mm -hmm. uh, very strong hands, because our our reads can be really wrong. And I don't really blame you. I'm not saying this hand is about you making a bad read on this guy. It's just that it's almost impossible to input a range correctly. Uh, We live in this fantasy I call it the great range fantasy that we know what our opponents are doing at all times. Right. So, you know, once you stick in the 900, we're always seeing showdown. Uh, the question for you is going forward with this guy, you know, how this hand, uh, affects you because the game doesn't take place in over one hand. Uh, this now travels with you and the knowledge that he did this travels with you both. Um, uh, so thanks, thanks for bringing this. This is a very i was it was I was very surprised by the result, and that's a good thing yeah, as was i <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure you're happier than me <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was very sad to put in my last seven
1: hundred <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> but I did it anyway, yeah. and here we are we won the pot cool. so so was this a good session for you uh yeah, it ended up being a profitable session. Nice. And uh, how often do you get back into this game? Hmm. Maybe
2: one to two times a week. I play this game.
1: All right. So you're in there. You're, you're basically, you're you're almost a reg there then. Almost, almost a reg. And I think
2: that I bring something that they, Aren't really prepared for, which is just my socialness. I think it's disarming
1: for that. Uh, okay. I was going to ask about that. I was going to say, well, tell me about the social culture, the actual gaming culture, not the strategic mm. culture, but about the win and, and do that. Uh, you know, what, what is it like sliding around with all these? these uh, big regs and uh, you know, the poker community. Well, my character is sort of the,
2: they know that I'm working up the stakes and that I'm young and I'm very social and it's sort of a shot for me. So that's, that's the context, right? But I'm relatively comfortable regardless of all of those things. So an example is I'm in a hand with uh, this reg who can remain named. Well, whatever. His name is Zach. And he plays every day, very deep, uh, very strong player. He plays uh, like 50 hours a week. And just sits in a pile of money, I'm assuming, at home. (laughs) And I was in a hand with him one time. (laughs) Well, that's how I do it, too. I was in a hand with him, like Scrooge McDuck, right? Just a pool of $100 bills. Uh, I was in a hand with him one time, and he's very stoic. Uh, never, Never says a word, doesn't smile, doesn't look around at all. And he makes a bet or something. And I just say, one of these days, I'm going to get you to say something in a hand. Somebody give me odds whether I can get Zach to smile during a hand or something like that. This catches him totally off guard, right? Uh, Sort of things like that that I don't think they really have to combat on on a regular basis. Whereas they're used to tough spots. They're not really used to tough social spots like that
1: is that a tough social spot (laughs) well
2: (laughs) i don't know for a uh for a statue of a poker player probably
1: might be you know i i I think you're on the right track here the games need to be made more social and they need to be made more pleasant at all levels um and vegas is not known for having i mean i know during the WCP we have some fun but uh it's not known for, for friendly, welcoming tables and people who will mix it up a little bit. So sure. good for you. That's, that's what you need to be doing. And that will provide you not only with <clears throat> a good, better reaction from the players, but you'll get known. You're going to want to be invited to games. Um, you need to yeah. be, You need to be something of a brand. And we'll sort of close with that. Uh, is, this, is this vlog going to happen? Are you, is Sulfur and you going to get going? I, I, I thought this was going to happen like a long time ago.
2: Well, I had to go to Florida for a couple months, mm. and that just set it back a little while. And then we had the World Series. But now we have a period of free time. So, yes, I think uh, I have a Boston trip coming up on the 13th of August. And I think that's a perfect opportunity to get a lot of footage and sort of launch the brand that I want the
1: vlog to be. So you're going to the new encore there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, take note. You can find Chris there, uh, flatting free Queens. money. Yeah. Free money. <laughs> no doubt. All right. Well, uh, it's been great talking with you. Um, we will include your connections on you know whatever social media you like uh, instagram the connection to self why if that's ready and uh, any any final words and any wisdom in your your long years of poker that you'd like to share
2: oh gosh wisdom put me on the spot uh live deliberately with vitality and conviction how's that is
1: that wisdom that might, that might make the cut yeah that's okay all right nice talking with you chris i'm going to sign off for the zoo and i will catch you next week thanks so much for having me on all right perfect talk to you soon bye-bye
0: and thank you also for tuning in once again to the poker zoo sure to stop by the website for all the episodes and other great poker content persuadio.nl or simply search for the poker zoo There's also a comment section under each of the blog posts and a place to subscribe on iTunes or an Android device, any uh, of your favorite podcast aggregators. And, of course, we love good ratings and reviews. Be sure to tell your friends about the Poker Zoom. You can share on Twitter or any other social media. We think we have something somewhat unique and special and worth listening to. So thanks a lot. See you next time.